A reading from the book of Hosea. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they keep on sinning and make a cast image for themselves, idols of silver made according to their understanding, all of them the work of artisans. Sacrifice to these, they say. People are kissing calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes away early, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like the smoke from a window. Yet I have been the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me, there is no Savior. It was I who fed you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. When I fed them, they were satisfied. They were satisfied, and their heart was proud. Therefore, they forgot me. And now a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Then Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. John, however, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the officials of the synagogue sent them a message saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, give it. So Paul stood up and with a gesture began to speak. You Israelites and others who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. After he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance for about, 40, uh, for about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until the time of the prophet Samuel. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. When he had removed him, he made David their king. In his testimony about him, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart, who will carry out all my wishes. Of this man's <clears throat> posterity, God has brought to Israel a savior Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had already proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his work, he said, what do you suppose 
that I am. I am not he. No, but, but one is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of the sandals on his feet. My brothers, you descendants of Abraham's family and others who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we began the new year with a series about Jesus. And the first week, Jack talked to us about knowing Jesus and said, you know, kind of what the thing that is most unique is that when you know Jesus, it says you're a Christian. That's what it means, is that who we are as Christians is to know Jesus. Last week, he talked to us about Jesus, the Son of God. And he talked about at the very core of who Jesus is, the statement that God gives at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, son of God, knowing Jesus. This week as we look in our series about uh, Jesus, the Savior, I can't help but think of all the different ways that we like to be saved. Uh, not just for salvation eternally, but other ways that we like to be saved. I always have to smile because I think about, uh, at least for me, maybe you all are way ahead of me, but um, you know when they say in schools you can't, there's no prayer allowed in schools? I just crack up. Are you kidding me? I mean, here's how it normally goes for academicians that are studying. Dear Lord, I have plowed through the books. I've been to every lecture. I've even been in a study group. But Lord, rescue me, deliver me from any trick questions. Lord, help me that I might do well with what I have spent my time preparing. I ask this in your name. Amen. Well, here's my version. Dear Lord, I know I didn't really pick up the book. <laughs> Lord, I know I kind of slept sometimes during class in a study group I never really took advantage of. So Lord, dear Lord, can an earthquake swallow up the school? <laughs> in Jesus' name, amen. We all want to be saved. We all want something. But you know, it's not so easy. It's not so quick. It's not so clever as school. Sometimes we need, truly we need saving. Saving sins in our own lives, but savings of the world in which we live. Whether it's a test or taxes or a ticket or maybe it's the diagnosis from the doctor. Oh Lord, save me from that word, cancer. Or maybe when we get that call in the middle of the night, we think, oh Lord, deliver me from this news. Lord, I need to be saved. Situations in our life as well as in our relationships. But today as we look at these two scriptures, we look at Hosea. Hosea has everything to do about God's love for his people and God's people once again distracted. Once again doing something else. Things that we know are true about God. God suffers when his people are unfaithful. God loves us. It's hurtful. 
Have you been in a relationship where someone has betrayed you? Whether it be a friend or a spouse? Have you not seen the suffering of choices of your children? God suffers when we're unfaithful. God will never condone sin. Stop trying to figure out whose sin is worse than yours. We're all on even ground here, folks. We all need a Savior. God will never do anything but to condone sin. God also will never, ever, ever stop loving us. No matter what we do, no matter who we are, we have a God who loves us. He will always love us. And God will always call those back to himself, even those who have been unfaithful. So Hosea is just not spinning his wheels when he talks to the people and he says, you have blown it and you're unfaithful. You've taken on other gods and you're doing horrific things because this religion has all these horrific things, these sacrifices, these kissing of the calves, these terrible behavior. God wants you. But let me tell you, God does not condone this behavior. And he goes from the doom of the whole book of Hosea to one of hope. And in that fourth verse, God reminds them, I am your God, the only God, and the only one that is a savior. You forgot me, but I've not forgotten you. We look throughout the Old Testament and we think, what is a savior in the Old Testament? Most of it had to do with the here and now, the needing the help of God. If you were in the Bible studies this week, just indulge me for two minutes. The presence of God in the Old Testament had everything to do with rescuing his people when they needed to be rescuing. Coming, Lord, the psalmist writes, take me from my enemies, help me, Lord. Rescue me, deliver me out of the hands that would take me in captivity. Or prayers for healing, or prayers for prosperity, or prayers for what they wanted more than anything else. Lord, take us out of this captivity, bring us to the land of promise, and bring us, Lord, deliver us to a place of peace. Old Testament. Savior for peace, for prosperity, for deliverance from enemies, from being rescued from terrible things. But God is a God who is greater than that. And so when Paul comes to Antioch in Galatia. So he's gone from Antioch in Syria to Galatia. And he goes up there to bring the gospel. And he goes with Barnabas, his pal, who's like mentored him and taught him. And Barnabas has a nephew, John. And John kind of bails very early on. By the way, John Mark later becomes a phenomenal disciple of Jesus. So don't ever give up hope on anyone. But at this point, John just takes off and Paul's not happy, but they continue because they're on a mission. It's their first road trip of the, of the um, apostles going out into the world to let people know about Jesus. And they do what was very, very common. 
Jesus said, go first to my people and bring the gospel to them. So they do exactly that. And the way in which you do that in this culture is you go to where the people are. Oh, go figure. You go to the synagogue. It's where they all come on Sunday, on Saturday. And they all go there to worship. And so Paul goes with Barnabas and he goes to speak to the people knowing that almost always, if you have an itinerant speaker, preacher, teacher who's there, you will invite them to teach. And so Paul takes that opportunity. And he does a very interesting thing. Now, if you're a student of the Bible and if you've read the book of Acts, you will notice that it's, a lot of it's about sharing the good news of the gospel, sharing about Jesus Christ. And when you look at Stephen, who was a deacon, and by the way, we're about to train um, our new deacons this afternoon, and I didn't tell them the story of, of, of Stephen, who was the first deacon to be called, shared the gospel, and was um, murdered. <laughs> I'm like, really? You want me to be a deacon? Okay. <laughs> well, when he shared the gospel, he told them everything that Israel was doing wrong. God, you neglected God. You betrayed God. You, nothing was good enough for you. And, and Paul has a whole different way of going about telling them about God. They're both true. They're both right. It's like going to a football game with a husband and wife. Not quite the same story, but they went to the same place. So Paul, I thought that was funny. <laughs> I love my word. So Paul goes and he begins to speak because he's been invited to do so. And he takes the story of God's people, Israel, because these are people who are God's people. These are people in worship who are Jews and those who are God-fearing. That means people who are not born into the Israelite family but have come into the faith. And he begins to share with them what's going on and how God has taken care of them. God chose them through Abraham, the very beginning. I didn't choose, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you, and then I multiplied you. And then I brought you, even though you were in the desert and you were, kind, you know, the language there is just really nice. You know, I put up with you while you were in the desert. It's the only kind of, wow, what's really going on here? And then he takes them out of there, he brings them to a place, and he gives them judges so that the people can know how to live rightly. He doesn't say you're not, he's just saying, and then I brought you judges, but they didn't really like the judges. So then he gives them um, Saul, Samuel, and Samuel is a prophet, and he's trying to help the people learn the way, and they finally go to God and say, as Paul says in this, we need a king. Again, if you're a student of scripture, you know that broke God's heart. I'm your king. But they wanted, no, no, we need the earthly kings because that's what everyone else has. So he gives them a king and Saul. And Saul reigns for about 40 years. And then he gives to him David, a man of my own heart. And out of David is promised the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who will come to bring the salvation. And Paul said, it's not John the Baptist, it's Jesus. Paul had met Jesus, and it transformed him. 
And he became on this first road trip and many other missionary journeys to follow the evangelist, to share with people what's going on, to share with them the good news of a savior. Martin Luther King said this about our faith. Christianity affirms that at the heart of reality is a heart, a loving father, who works through history for the salvation of his children. Man cannot save himself, for man is not the measure of all things, and humanity is not God. Bound by the chains of his own sin and finiteness, man needs a Savior. Thanks be to God we have that in Jesus. So who is Jesus, the Savior? It's a little article in there, pretty important. The Savior. Talked about in Matthew, I am sending you the one who will save his people, but it goes on in First John to tell us not only the people of God, but Jesus comes for the whole world to save the whole world, to bring them the salvation. What is the one thing that keeps us from doing exactly what we should be doing? The one thing that we all have in common, level ground, the sin, is the one thing that holds us captive. So Jesus comes to take on our sin. It's the only way that it could happen. You have to take on whatever that burden is. And Jesus comes to take that sin for us so that we might recognize the Savior that we have. Christ, in giving of himself, not only died, but lives. That sets him apart. You know, you had lots of little people that you would follow, little deities and kings and kingdoms. But our king is alive. Our king is Jesus. Of his love for us, Christ gives himself. Being fully human, taking on as fully God the penalty of humanity that we might truly experience not just now, not just the rescue of a moment or of a period of time, both now and eternally. He was the sacrifice for us. And because he lives, we know we have a savior. A professor named Jim Edwards, who's now retired, he was a professor at Whitworth College. I've sat under his teaching, just phenomenal, and he was a, he liked to climb, mountain climb, and he tells a story that in 1957, on the north face in Switzerland, which is near the Eiger, it's by the Eiger, it's in the Alps, and there were two Germans and two Italians who were attempting to climb that 6,000-foot rock, face of a rock, pretty, pretty straight up. Unfortunately, two German, the two Germans um, never made it. They died. And the two Italians were about 1,000 feet from the top and were stuck. Now, the law was is that you couldn't send out a rescue party if it was really dangerous. And so in the Alps with the Swiss climbers, they wanted to go, but they had said, no, it's too dangerous. They decided to try anyway because they wanted to rescue the two that were left hanging suspended. And the person they sent down is Alfred Hellepart. 
and they put him on a cable about a fraction of an inch thick, and they lowered him into the abyss. And he writes this. As I was lowered down the summit, my comrades on top grew further and further distant until they disappeared from sight. At this moment, I felt an indescribable aloneness. Then for the first time, I peered down the abyss of the north face of the Eiger. The terror of the sight robbed me of breath. The brooding blackness of the face falling away in almost endless expanse beneath me made me look with awful longing to the thin cable disappearing about me in the midst. I was a tiny human being dangled in space between heaven and hell. The sole relief from terror was my mission to save the climbers below. Edwards goes on to say this about the story. That is the heart of the gospel story. We were trapped. We could not go anywhere. Trapped. But in the person and presence of Jesus, God lowered himself into the abyss of our sin and suffering. In Jesus, God became a tiny human being dangling between heaven and hell. Amen. He did it to save the people trapped below, you and me. Thus, the gospel is much more radical than just another religion, religion telling us how to do good in our own power. It tells of the story of God's risky costly, sacrificial rescue effort on our behalf. Jesus, the Savior. It defines the person and the work of Christ. Jesus is a Savior for Israel. Jesus is a Savior for the whole world. So, of course, here's my question. Is Jesus your Savior? Amen.